Welcome to day 33 of A Year of War and Peace. I'm Logan. I'm Brett. And today we'll be reading and talking about Volume 1, Part 2, Chapter 8. We get our uh, we get our first taste of fire. Fireball! Uh, our first taste of war. First taste of war. First taste of combat. Denisov Nikolai and the Pavlograd Hussars are waiting across the bridge as the rest of the infantry all get across uh, the way. Uh, out ahead of them are a bunch of Cossacks patrolling even further on, so you can see them acting as kind of that outward light cavalry kind mm-hmm. of kind of expeditionary force there. And the French are gradually approaching, coming over the hill in the distance, and they oh, see brother. all these blue great coats and cannons all moving over the hill and gradually approaching them as they await orders. And there's this great you can see this this paragraph or this chapter. I think you can see a lot where Tolstoy is is really drawing from his own personal experiences yeah. in the way that he writes. Yeah, there's this great um, quote on page 150 where it's in our edition. It's the second paragraph down. It starts with one step across that dividing line, so like the one between the living and the dead, and you enter an unknown world of suffering and death. What will find you there? Who will be there? There, just beyond that field, that tree, that sunlit roof? No one knows, and yet you want to know. You dread crossing that line, and yet you want to cross it. You know sooner or later that you will have to go across and find out what is there beyond it, just as you may inevitably find out what lies beyond death. Yet here you are, fit and strong, carefree and excited, with men all around you just the same. Strong, excited, and full of life. Bro, I read that. I was like, whoa. <laughs> he did not have to go that crazy, but he did. Yeah. Yeah. The the perspective of all the soldiers here and the description yeah. of their thoughts. Is it's, so... very, it's also very it's very clear that it's like first person projected onto yeah. um, these fictional characters. Who yeah. I, I'm actually curious because General Kruzov is a real person. Mm-hmm. How many of these? I wonder how many of these like sub generals and orderlies and um, like colonels are. Yeah, I wonder. Are fictional? It's how many of them are real? Yeah, I don't know. Most of the all of the like major generals that have been referred to so far so far have been like real, obviously, because we've we've talked about the history. Is Schubert of real? Of them. I don't know. Where's my phone? I I thought he was real for a second. There is a Carl Schubert. Who lived from 1975 to 1855, but he was a landscape painter. Oh, yeah, I don't think that that's this guy. I think this guy. I think this one is an invented, an, an invented and a fake, character. a fake guy. I think so. But yeah, yeah, the uh, the the parag- the passages about the soldiers' experiences are are awesome. I mean, this is. I, I think that this is this is a long paragraph, and it's super dense with just a lot of really mm-hmm. intimate, really well written. Yeah, like beats and moments that are very, very clearly drawn from Tolstoy's. But it's crazy how it takes men going to war to realize things that, like, I had I realized in like eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> like, do they not think about this all the time? <laughs> like, that's crazy. I wake up in the morning and I think about how one day I'll die. Mm-hmm. Like, are they not thinking about that at all times? Well, I'm not gonna die. What are you talking about? That's crazy. Like how how do they, how do they just not have that constant mind struggle? Like to me, that's so normal because I just have those thoughts every day. But not, I guess not everyone does. No, that's me realizing that <laughs> the realization that not everyone thinks like that all the time. That's crazy. I wish I could be like that. No. Anyway, back to the war. Back to the war. Denisov wants to fight. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he put on his cologne, man. He's got. His he cleaned cologne. his teeth. He got his cologne. He's sitting there. He's 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 jonesing to 
Yeah, I know. He only packed one of those like travel sized colognes, like the fit. They're like the really thin bottles, mm. and so like every spritz like has to kind of be worth <laughs> it. And so he's like kind of pissed now that they're not letting him ride into battle because he wasted a spritz of his cologne. I know he's he's jonesing to run with a small division of hussars against. A large. I was gonna say, isn't their army like something over like a hundred thousand men? They're definitely significantly outnumbered here. I also think it's interesting uh, uh, in terms of the way that it's written here. Uh, the the fact that it's very clearly written from a personal like Russian perspective. Yeah. Like it's it's our troops and our men mm-hmm. and the enemy are the French. Like it's it's not. There's no attempt at like objectivity or distance no. from the like nationalism. Well, I think that of, that's that's his that's his audience. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was interesting. Right. Like he's writing. He's writing. He's writing towards which is a an issue that we've come in to a few times making the podcast. Whereas like we have debated like sharing certain things that have happened historically because Tolstoy was writing for an audience that already knew what happened. Like, mm-hmm. they know the outcomes of these battles. Yeah. And they know they know what happens. And on a greater scale, I think a lot of people obviously know, like... The broad strokes. The broad strokes of Napoleon's, like, movements towards Russia and the Napoleonic Wars. But something that we debate with a lot of the time is, like, should we share, like, how this how ends? Much, how much, how many details yeah. about, like, the upcoming, this campaign... And its outcome and everything. Like, does it, does it, I, I think to us, like, reading it 200, yeah, yeah. 200 years later, do we want to, like, have put the the burden of knowing what already happens on the reader or having them find out as they go along? Because it directly impacts the characters' lives. And to us, it is, like, more important to the narrative of the story than it is to, like, being historical events mm, yeah. that have happened in recent memory. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Denisov wants a fight, and then they do not get a fight. Uh, after the tr- infantry are all down there, the colonel comes, and the, so the colonel of the Pavlogratisars is uh, Karl Schubert, also known as Bogdanich, Bogdanich, who is the same colonel that Nikolai got in trouble mm-hmm. with over the Telyanin affair, which is why he's so like he's so he's, stressed he's, like, about him the like, whole time. <laughs> he's like, he's like, is he sending us back into battle just so I can get killed? Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> like Nikolai, like I don't think. That he knows who you are. Like, I think he probably sees you in passing and is like, oh, that's that guy. I don't think that he thinks about you that much. I don't even know if he does. He's like writing next to him. He's like, the colonel's not looking at me. Is he ignoring me? Is he trying to make me feel self-conscious by not giving me any attention? that I give to my friends. My friends both, uh, like, sometimes, like, you know when they're, like, talking, they're, like, talking to, like, guys or, like, mm. there's, like, someone who, like, they had a really awkward interaction with and they're, like, I wonder, like, I don't want to, like, go talk to them again because, like, this happened, like, and it will be, like, the smallest thing but I'm a victim of it too where it's, like, oh my god, like, they're so still, like, they're, <laughs> like, they're so still thinking about it. No one cares. They don't, they actually don't care. Like, there was a war going on. <laughs> like let's center ourselves. Bigger things. Let's center ourselves in the situation. Priorities. You based. are uh, one man in one division of hussars. 
in a giant war. Like, let's let's center ourselves, Nikolai. Let's take a deep breath. Have you considered that he's the main character, though? Well, I do think that he's also, like, never not been important. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> so he's exactly. Like, he's probably like, of course he's scrutinizing me. Because if this was anywhere else, like, at home, like, Moscow. if this was in Moscow, of course he'd, of course, mm-hmm. of course, everyone would know and be talking about it. It'd be the talk of the town. He'd be the talk, oh, God, it's the talk of the town. Oh, golly, gee. But they're pulled back. Uh, they cross back along the bridge and start leaving. And then a bunch of guys run down. Zerkov shows up. Nesvitsky comes back. I think another Austrian dude runs in there. And they're all like, hey, man. They go up to Schubert, the colonel. And they're like, hey, man, you didn't burn the bridge. You were supposed to burn the bridge so that the French can't just follow us across the bridge and kill us. It's like really important that you do that. And Schubert, Schubert's like, you did not tell me to burn the bridge. I feel like that just makes tactical sense. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm sitting here in Los Angeles, California, in the year 2024, and I'm like, yeah, duh, of course you burn the bridge. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he's like, it's like, Schubert's like, you didn't, I I wasn't given orders to burn the bridge, I was just supposed to cross. And then I think Nesvitsky says something like, what we had, what do you think we want to have all the kindling on the bridge for? It was that's so like, that you could burn it. That's like that is something that frustrates. It's like when you ask someone to do something and there's like a step in there that feels imperative. Like it just makes sense. And there are several people that are like, yeah, it just makes sense. And then you ask someone to do it. They don't do it. And they're like, well, you didn't tell me. Well, nobody ever taught me. <laughs> just, girl, use context clues here. Yeah. Um the colonel says, you have tell me about the kindling, but not about the burning. You never said a word. And Nesvitsky so says... So we're just, what, dumping, dumping <laughs> sticks on the bridge for fun? And Nesvitsky says, my good man, was it really necessary to say burn the bridge when you were packing it with kindling materials? Yeah, I agree with him. I agree with him. Also, Nesvitsky also has this awesome line where he's like, if I were the Tsar, I'd never go to war. Great. Nesvitsky, like just doesn't give a fuck and it's awesome. <laughs> I kind of love Nisvitsky. Nisvitsky's my Anatole of the war. (laughs) How did... Also, where's Anatole? How did he get out of going to war? Because he's hiding. He's hiding. Because he's hot. Yeah, he's too hot. He's got pretty privilege. (laughs) He's too hot to go to war. We can't risk losing him. (laughs) The Russians need him for genetics. Have you you seen um, that Onion skit that's like the colonel talking about how they've disallowed gay people from serving in the military because they're too precious to be lost and they don't want to risk America's They don't want them to serve. That's Anatole. They want to... The czar said he was too precious. (laughs) Russia can't lose their gays. (laughs) Russia can't lose Anatole. He's too precious to, to he risk. He is. He really is. Who <laughs> else is going to tie a, <laughs> the a czar, policeman to a bear? The czar is in your court. Um, the, czar and I, the czar and I actually have meetings where we gossip about Anatole. <laughs> and we just like, <laughs> like, hee hee hee. Me and Alexander the second. You kick your feet. The first. Yeah. Oh, it's the first? Yeah, we mixed that up. Oh, right. We did. We did mix that up. Because Alexander the second was. No. I don't know who Alexander the second was, but this is the No, first. Al- Alexander the second. Might have directly preceded, um, oh no, he's right after, in 1818. Yeah, he liberated the serfs. He did. Alexander II did. Alexander didn't do shit for him. Alexander I was just that twink in uh, Napoleon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so the uh, Colonel Schubert turns around 
and says, okay, I'll burn the bridge. And he gets a group of hussars, a whole group of them. Nikolai and Denisov De- included. Included. Including the main characters, because of course they're of course they're in the... Naturally. Naturally. They're the main characters. And they all dismount, and they run down to the bridge. They should, little Rook could have crossed that distance way faster. But they don't want to risk their precious horses. That's true. I would I would also leave Little Rook. We also do get a Little Rook name drop. And we find out he has he has weak legs <laughs> he in does. this chapter. Well, they had to splint his hoof. And that's why that's why he was so cheap. Yeah. But Little Rook got a low taper fade and he's looking baller as fuck out there. He's supporting morale from the from the sidelines. He's yeah. a cheerleader. Um but they run down with a whole group of hussars led by the colonel, and the they're in a rush because the French are moving up with their artillery and they're getting into grape shot range. Yes. Which grape shot, if you don't know, was it's an anti-infantry type of ammunition for the in, in a cannon where basically instead of a big cannonball they load a giant canister of musket balls yes and they fire when they fire it it's like a, a hundred musket balls that all spread out in like a shotgun pattern yes. out from the cannon so not something not that fun. you want to be shot at something with. something really not fun not not kind of like running towards a machine gun yeah if the machine gun bullets would just like rip a hole in you yeah like very graphically more than a machine gun. <laughs> yeah, we have more of Nikolai thinking that the colonel is personally testing him yeah. by sending him into battle. And he has a, he has this fantasy where he's like, oh, he's, he's we're going to run into battle and I'm going to get wounded and he'll stand over me as I'm wounded yeah, and demand and my demand, apology. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you on about, dude? Nik- well, Nikolai also has on page 156, he has that I would ask for nothing, nothing in the world if I could only be here in me and only me in that sunshine. There is so much happiness in here. All this groaning and agony, this feeling of dread, all the uncertainty, this rushing about. They are shouting again. Everybody's running back somewhere and I'm running too. And there's death hanging over me all around me. One flash and I'll never see that sunshine, that water, that mountain gorge ever again. Bro, <laughs> he's having his come to Jesus moment. I think that he's realized what war is. Yeah. Nikolai's having a big... Yeah. Well, I mean, it's specifically... There's another good Nikolai line where it, he runs down and their their guys are kindling the bridge and they, uh, the, they're burning the bridge and the cannons are setting up and Nikolai doesn't really know what to do with himself. He's not. He's kind of confused and just kind of standing around as, as yeah. all these men are getting to work and the cannons are setting up to fire on them. And it says, there was no one to slash at with his sword, which was how he always imagined a battle would go. And he couldn't contribute to the bridge burning because unlike the other soldiers, he had forgotten to bring any straw. So he, he winds up, he has this romantic idea of running mm. in with a saber and cutting people down and fighting tooth and nail and he gets in into the middle of this and all of a sudden he's just being shot at while he, they try to burn this bridge and get out alive yeah. under under this cannon fire and he has this yeah it's a it's a great like Nick, big Nikolai chapter. Yeah, big realization for Nikolai chapter. Yeah, because I think up until this point he's like the colonel's personally victimizing me, <laughs> and then he's like I I could die. Oh golly, <laughs> I I could die right here. Yeah, on this on this bridge. Mm-hmm. And then also we learned that the colonel is most likely bringing all of these men into battle so that he gets valor medals medal. awards. Yeah, because um, because the, the, Zerkov and I think it's Zerkov and Nesvitsky. Nesvitsky says that he he doesn't know why he sent all those men yeah. down there because two two brave men could have run down and burned the bridge and just risked themselves. And then Zerkov is like. Um, well, Schubert, that wouldn't get him a, that wouldn't be a good enough story for the other officers. It wouldn't get him enough yeah. recognition. He wouldn't get enough clout from that. He says, uh, he says he wouldn't get the Vladimir medal and ribbon for that. 
our good friend Bogdanich knows how things get done. So it's 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 he's using the troops basically to further his own career and and reputation among the other the officers and his own superiors essentially by making it a more a more dramatic and exciting sequence than it than it maybe needed to be. It's great for the story. Great it's great story. for Nikolai's character development. I yeah. think that that's actually what he had in mind. <laughs> it was all about Nikolai after all. It really was. He was testing him. He was testing him. And then at the end, Bogdanich has has no... He sucks. Has no feelings of regret or remorse about the men who died on the bridge. He even seems to enjoy the fact that one of his men got killed um, and shot down at the very at the very end of the chapter there. That guy sucks. Yeah, all my all my homies all hate my Schubert. All my homies hate Schubert. If if, Sh- if Schubert has no haters, I'm dead. <clears throat> if if you were killed in the grape shot, <laughs> I'm the guy. I'm the one who died. Oh, but Schmidt. They do manage to burn the bridge. Nikolai has his <clears throat> has his awakening. Yes. His spiritual awakening in battle. Denisov. Denisov goes. He's he loves it. He's 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 wide eyed. His cologne wasn't for nothing. Oh yeah. He's th- he goes and jumps on top of the bridge and he's. Shouting at the French and showing himself off, trying to basically trying to get shot practically. But uh, they burn the bridge. They come back. Schubert's an asshole. Nikolai realizes that he might he, he could might, die. He, could die. he realizes that death is possible for people in war, <laughs> just for something, people in general. Something he never considered. before. He's never considered death before. Let's be real. No. And they re- they they return successful a successful mission after some disastrous miscommunication between yes. The colonel and the superior officers in the army. But they burned the bridge. All right. God bless them. God bless. God bless them. Ranking time. Okay, we'll do Schubert, Nikolai, Denisov, and... Hmm. We'll just do those three. I feel like those are the three. They're the most involved in the action. Most likely to leave the stove on. Schubert. (laughs) Schubert number one. Yeah. Schubert number one. That was a quick answer. Hey, man. No way that guy... That guy does not cook for himself. So he... No, yeah, no way. No way. He might be low, just because I don't know if he can get the stove on in the first place. But I'm going to say... <laughs> I'm going to put him at number one. He definitely throws it in there and does not even think to turn the stove off. He has never He has never made any food for himself. Um, and like you said, I don't... He can't even light... I don't even think he can light a match. Yeah. So All my homies hate Schubert. Schubert Schubert's the worst on every <laughs> ranking from here forward. We just rank Schubert number one. F tier War F-tier. and Peace character, and then, and then Nikolai, just because he's a little s- similar reason to Schubert. I think that he's a little. He's a little bit. He's never. He's never. He's a little airheaded too. You know, he gets yeah. a little, he gets a little distracted. Julie Kerrigan comes over and he's not thinking about. He's he gets a little too distracted by her. And when Julie Kerrigan's gone, his cousin's there. Yeah, so. and so he's he's not thinking about the stove. He, he googled he googled a, a mac and cheese recipe and he's making it for them. <laughs> or, he's, ca- uh, he's transcribing poetry. Yeah, making tacos or spaghetti and meatballs. He's and like he, you. He's yeah. following the instructions exactly. Um, and he just doesn't he just doesn't think about it. He forgets forgets the stove is even there. Yeah. Once he falls into the eyes, the eyes of his lovers. Exactly. Wow. Or the French the French cannons. Or the French or the French cannons. And then Denisov, Denisov seems like a pretty self, self-sufficient chap. I feel like Denisov's the guy that you go over to his house and it's just like one plastic chair and the TV's on the floor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lawn chair, TV on the floor, PlayStation 4 on the floor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Playing Fortnite. Like the PlayStation 4 has like kind of melted the rug underneath it together because it's on the floor and it, there's no ventilation. So it gets a little too hot. 
So, like, when you pick it up, the rug is kind of matted underneath. Oh, gravy. <laughs> um, uncovered mattress on the floor. Oh! He sleeps with a bottom sheet and a blanket. Yeah. And, like, a pillow. One pillow. He only has one pillow on his bed. <laughs> no pillowcase. No pillowcase. Raw dog in it. But yeah, I say final ranking, uh, most to least likely to leave the stove, the oven on, is Schubert Nikolai Denisov. I agree. That's a good, that's a good ranking. Thank you. And good reasons given. I worked really hard on it. I know, I can tell. Thanks. Thanks, babe. You're welcome. Okay, we'll see you guys tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. For chapter tomorrow, nine. Tomorrow. 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 tomorrow.